It's the Law and Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the hard issues where law and business intersect to help you understand your business's legal obligations better. Anthony's law practice is focused on trademark, copyright, other intellectual property, and advertising and promotion law. You can contact him at anthony at vernalaw.com and at 212-729-5651. And now, the Law and Business Podcast. Welcome to the Law and Business Podcast. I'm Anthony Verna. I'm here with Darcy Knapp. How are you doing, Darcy? Doing fabulous, Anthony. Fantastic. Glad to be- Good. Well, thank you for calling in. And how can everybody find you? Let's plug you first. Uh, just Google me. I'm everywhere. <laughs> uh, Darcy Knapp, K-N-A-P-P. You'll find one of my various iterations out there. No problem. Fantastic. Darcy. If they want to call me, yeah. If I'm on the phone, like right now, you're just going to get my service. So keep trying. You'll get me. <laughs> Darcy, you're an SEO expert, for lack of a lack of a shorter phrase. That's pretty short. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, search engine optimization, online marketing, everything from web design through optimization, how to get your business found. We can make it bigger, better, faster, stronger. So... Let's start here. Let's start with a couple mistakes that that businesses generally make in either getting a website up or doing online marketing. How does that okay. sound? Okay. So sounds like a plan. <laughs> so I the biggest would. Mistake? I can give you the biggest. Mistake. Go ahead. Let's start there. Uh, people start with a concept. They name their product. They go through all of their their work, and they never check to see if a domain name is available. Their answer is, well, I put abc.com in the search bar, and it didn't come, nothing came up, so I assumed it was available. That's the biggest mistake. It's the assumption that the name you want is available just because there's no website on it. Absolutely. You know, going to a domain name registrar, they all have a little search box, and if you type it in and it's taken, then it's taken. And if you type in whatever domain name your, your dream is and it's available – it's you know then buy it uh, yeah buy it exactly but you know we've got a lot of new extensions coming out new top level domains coming out so that Uh, the the only problem you have with the new top level domains yes they're fabulous but what you have to deal with is if your audience is 35 plus the target audience for your business unless you're targeting college kids you're targeting the newly married the homeowners the accumulators we all have embedded muscle memory. We type in the business name, and our hands automatically type .com, enter. So it's going to take – sorry. That's, That's my okay. four-legged office assistant. <laughs> She's now outside. Um, okay, so where did she bark? Oh, don't worry. Just, just keep going. Okay. So if your target audience is in the accumulating stage of their life, even in the downsizing stages – we all have embedded muscle memory. We have been trained since the Internet first came out to type what we were looking for, .com, and then our hand automatically clicks enter. You've got 20 years before the kids of today become consumers and will be typing .net, .biz, .anything under the sun. .auto, .nyc. .guru, .web, .anything. But the problem is the accumulators of today, the business people you're trying to target today, we've all been trained to type .com enter. You don't want the .net. You don't want the .info. You want the .com. 
as your business grows and expands, you can look at other extensions for, for branding. I mean, if you're going to get a trademark, no one else is going to buy your trademark dot anything. But in a perfect world today, to sell to consumers today, you need the dot com. And, and, and if it means, pay, it means paying $2,000 to get the dot com versus the dot net, you need the dot com. And and that does relate to to what a lot of businesses miss from a legal standpoint. Uh, take choosing a trademark and whether that trademark is the business name or a line of a product. I, I find that doing the due diligence is is a difficult sell, to be honest with you, and that a lot of business owners would rather just put their head down, try to do the business, and if there's trouble later, well, then they'll deal with the trouble down the road rather and than they end, and they end up paying ten thousand dollars to get that dot com or a million dollars to get that dot com once they've made their brand success because they didn't do that first exactly i think there's there's not just a cheapness in doing in doing the due diligence whether it's a domain name whether it's a trademark search uh, ahead of time i i just think it's proper business to make sure that the business can actually you know, be branded without any legal issues down the road. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If what you want for a .com is already owned by someone and they're a direct competitor, you've got a huge problem. Exactly. You're going to invest all this time, effort, and energy and money into getting your trademark, and because that domain has been owned before your trademark came into existence, you can't get it. That competitor has it. They own it. They're working with it. The public's going to find that competitor, no matter how well you brand, People go to the search engine, type the brand name in the box, and hit enter. They don't type necessarily type .com, .net, or .anything. If you're ABC Business and that's what I'm typing, I'm going to get the strongest domain name first, which today is the .com. So let's talk about, since you mentioned uh, typing a brand name or, or something similar, a business name, into Google. A lot of businesses, I'm sure, make mistakes trying to do SEO themselves, trying to do it a little cheaply um obviously you know you and i don't recommend doing anything you know on your own no. you know hiring an expert <laughs> if someone's offering to get you on page one and giving you a guarantee just walk away because they're going to have you on page one for a term a key phrase that's seven or eight words long that no one ever searches for so you end up on page one of a page nobody sees there, there's no roi if you can't get roi out of the proposition don't spend the money and when you when you say that that companies like that look to put a seven word phrase in, are, are you? Let me look at the con converse of that. Are you saying that companies should be looking at one, two, three word phrases that relate to their business? Uh, generally, three, four, five words. Okay. There are very few one or two word phrases that a company today is ever going to rank for, only because of the big box stores. You're going to get beat by Wikipedia, Walmart, and YouTube. If you're looking for a one-word phrase and you don't own that one word dot com, you're never going to rank for it. And and don't can, don't, don't chase don't chase the windmills. <laughs> that, that's, that's like the second biggest mistake I see is people thinking they can rank for something that they will never rank for. And in most cases, you really don't want that two-word phrase. You want that two-word phrase plus a modifier, which is going to be your geography. Can you give an example? Sure. So if you're the personal injury lawyer, we talk to them all the time, mm -hmm. you don't want to rank for personal injury lawyer. You never will, so it's not even an issue. 
you want to rank for personal injury accident attorney New York because you're only licensed as an attorney in New York. So you're looking for someone that's searching for that two, three, four, five word string and then adding the geography. And if 90% of your clientele is locally based and you're in Middletown, New York, you should be going after a personal injury lawyer in Middletown, New York. Don't worry about that it's six words long. Someone in your market area looking for a personal injury lawyer, Google will pick up your IP address, match their zip code to yours, and you're going to get served. And that's someone who you can get into your office and close business on as opposed to the guy in Ohio that you can't legally take the case and you can't exactly get him in your office. He's a thousand miles away. It's, a, it's about working smart. For and, – and, and what kind of metadata – I know I'm throwing out a word that we probably should okay. define. So what kind of metadata do businesses so let's need to define think of? Metadata. Yes. metadata is the information <laughs> that goes behind your site that basically gives the heads up to the search engine what you want to rank for. What does not belong in your metadata? Punctuation. There shouldn't be any punctuation in your metadata. That's not, it's not about putting sentences together in a title tag. It's not about using an ampersand or a bracket, something that could be misconstrued as HTML, because Google's just going to think you're trying to put code into a metadata and ignore you. It should be about your core business, your core competency. And it should never contain a trademark that's not yours or a business name that's not your business. You're not going to conquest and get Google to believe you're a Ford dealer if you're a Chevy dealer. Putting the word Ford in your metadata is not going to get you ranked. It's not going to happen. And, and in fact, if, if there's a direct competitor relationship between uh, two businesses and one is putting metadata of the competitor in there, uh, as you said, uh, there, there's... You can, copy, you can cheat and copy your competitor's <laughs> metadata. But if you put their name in your meta, all you're doing is promoting them, and you're going to end up with a letter from their attorney with a cease and desist for putting their name in your meta. Absolutely. Now, there are times, by the way, I will say that there are times when that may be acceptable just because there are trademarks like Amazon that, that, you know, there's the Amazon River. So if for some strange reason you have... A tra- I won't say strange reason, but if you have a travel website and you're doing trips to the Amazon, okay, that does sound a little strange to me. Yeah. <laughs> but but if- Google, will, Google will make an inference. Google is a logic engine. If you're talking about the Amazon River, Google knows you're not talking about Amazon, Correct. the shopping site. Correct. Yeah, Google is smart to that degree. So the same way Google understands that certain words have the same meaning as other words, a book, a magazine, it's all literature. Correct. Correct. So it's not going to stop you from getting served if your meta says you sell comic books and someone's looking for an illustrated book. It's not going to stop you from getting served, but you really want to choose the right phrases that have the most search when you write your meta. And you also want to remember the average American has an eighth grade education. Don't use big words. Right. Meta should be nice and simple. If you're the attorney, don't use the word attorney. Use the word lawyer. People can spell it. (laughs) Uh, just one other, one other thought on on trademarks is that sometimes uh, there there are permissible uses in, in metadata, and there, there's a bizarre case out there where a former Playboy playmate, and I have a feeling no former Playboy playmates are listening to us speak right now. But um, they're, they're, no, they're they're all too busy dating basketball players. <laughs> <and football> players. <laughs> 
there's uh, there's a case where a former Playboy Playmate used, of course, Playboy and Playmate in the meta tag, and uh, Playboy's mag- uh, Playboy's attorneys, of course, filed suit. And what the court said is that because there was a designation given to this particular person while it's a registered trademark, uh, it's what we call nominative use. You know, the product or service couldn't be readily identified without that trademark. Uh, and only so much of the mark needed to be used as is reasonably necessary just to make the identification. And the uh, user, so in other words, the user of the website creating the metadata, uh, does nothing to suggest sponsorship or endorsement by the trademark holder. And that was completely acceptable. So as you, it's a very limited exception. uh, And and that's why you want expert help when you build your meta so you don't end up talking to somebody's lawyer. (laughs) That's all. I mean, common sense. The best thing you can do is look at that title tag. You get eight to ten words. It's basically three phrases, and the phrases that you put out are are what you expect people would be using a search engine to find you with. No, I think that's I think that's that's excellent advice. Can can I move to to a big pet peeve of mine that I actually just sure. saw yesterday? I saw a business uh, and on its window it had a domain name, and then under it it had its email address that went to Yahoo, and not the domain name. <laughs> okay, a couple of huge <laughs> issues when we look at email. Number one, your customers your business associates, your networking partners, everybody's going to have that address in their address book and you're branding Yahoo or you're branding AOL or Hotmail or any other provider. You want to be branding your business. How many emails do you get a day? I I probably get 300. The last thing I want is for people to be sending me email and typing not my business name but AOL.com. It's all about creating that top-of-mind awareness, and to do that, you need to brand. Then we get into the next level, uh, providers like Yahoo and AOL that block so much mail, uh, in particular website forms. If you've got a, a contact us form on your website and you're using an AOL account, you're probably never getting your forms. Not to mention the fact it looks terrible on a business card, and if anything, it looks more unprofessional. Do you want to be uh, John Smith at AOL.com, or do you want to be customer service at your business.com? And then we can get into email spammers. If you have an email address like info at your com, and that's what you're using, you're going to cut down on your junk mail tremendously because most of the email systems can't send to info at. By the way, I just pulled up the business that I passed yesterday. And okay. obviously on their website, it has the yahoo.com email address and there's a form on it. They're never getting them. <laughs> And I don't care if you change that form send to plain text, append an IP address, it doesn't matter. They're never getting that form. Uh, And again, when you're going to go do business with someone and you're going to hire a professional, that email address can actually make or break whether you get the job. Because using a branded email at yourbusiness.com is very professional. All the other alternatives are not. Is there a privacy concern as well with... uh... A lot of these services, especially, you know, Gmail really was the first one to put advertising in your inbox web uh, interface. Is is there a privacy concern as uh, well? There's more of a security concern. You've got a couple of issues. You've got email archiving. 
every email that's sent from your business, if it's sent from a branded email and you have control and you have an archive, you have a record. You know, an employee sends an email from their personal hotmail to a client saying, oh, yeah, we can do that for $10. That's a contract. And the client can then print that email, back a zero out, make it $1. And if that, if that employee doesn't work for you anymore, you have no recourse. You don't have to honor a contract because you have no, no control. You have no, no backup. You have no archive of that email. You don't know what's been sent out. You don't know if your employees are soliciting for other businesses, talking to your competitors. You know nothing sure. because you're letting everybody use their own personal private emails. Sure. No, I understand that uh, com- completely. I, I archive every single email I ever sent. Mm-hmm. As a business owner, it, it's it's you have to. And then if you're a legal or medical profession, you have regulations. Sure. I, I mean, as as an attorney, I um, I know that New York ethics rules have have allowed Gmail, and the reasoning was that a person is not the one looking at the email to insert advertising. It's all done automatically. So while every single email is scanned by Google, it's only scanned for for keywords to insert proper advertising. And I don't know about you. I think that is an that that is going to change at some point very quickly once judges realize that you know just because it's it's not a person right now doesn't mean it can't be a person at at, at Google very quickly. And, and, and one step further, how many times do you hear that an email provider has been hacked and you get an alert saying you have to change your password? My Hotmail gets hacked on average about every 45 days. I have to go in and change my password. I know when it's been hacked because it starts sending out links to my address book. Right. And my sister, who's in my address book, is very proactive, and she'll say, hey, Darsh, you've been hacked again. This is what your, your Hotmail sent me. So understand, if you're using one of those providers and it gets hacked and you start sending out malware, broken links, spam, uh, you're going to end up getting called a phone call from the FCC saying you're violating the anti-spam act and it's nothing you ever did it's a virus in your mailbox but you need control you're the business owner you need control your employees are using an email it should be the business's email leads come in you need to track them there's no reason for things to be getting sent to a private email box that belongs to an employee the business should own everything I, I agree completely. But what, what's going to stop that employee from selling those leads as they come in and those web forms as they come in to a competitor? Well, and, and, and I mean, that's just good business practice to begin with to make sure that the employer-employee relationship is set out beforehand, you know, also by a contract as as well. So, you know, not just email addresses, but... Uh, but Everything. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. you've got a content management system in that building that you protect with your life, but yet you're not protecting your email. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, you're not a lot renewing of... your domain name twenty years into the future. Your domain name's expiring every year. <laughs> Be proactive. A ten-year domain renewal is about a hundred bucks. You're crazy not to. You know, branded email is about thirty dollars a year. You're crazy not to. It, it, it's it, cutting corners won't save your bottom line when your employees start selling your leads to the competitor. I, I agree completely on that. Is there? I, I was going to say, it, 
with the control issue, is that because then it can come into the server, sit on Outlook, and, and, and it's just sitting there at the office? Well, any email that comes in, you can track inbound, you can track outbound, you can archive all the sent mail if you have control. If you're letting 10 employees send mail from 10 different Gmails and Hotmails, you have no control. You don't know what's going on in your business. Did that employee send out 100 emails today and do his job, or did he send out zero and not work and take a paycheck? And and certainly, you know, customer relationship uh, management software, and and I've got a client Mm -hmm. that does that, isn't set up to work with uh, Gmail or or AOL or Yahoo. It, It is set up to work with a system that is sitting in the office, whether it's a shared server or some kind of cloud-based system, it's it's set up for for that, for the business's own email. It's never set up for No, and for an look, email look at when you have an employee. I don't care if it's a brand-new employee or someone's been with you 30 years and just retired. You've got an employee that has correspondence with your customer base. When they leave, if they're sending emails back and forth in their hotmail, you're done. You've lost, yeah. you've lost everyone they're, they're in contact with because... They're not talking to your email. They're talking to Joe's Hotmail, and they're never going to send an email to you at the company. Yeah, no, I've um, I, I know someone who who was recently speaking with uh, a sales rep at a uh, regional beer company uh, for sponsorship for an event, and the salesperson had an, an uh, at AOL you know email address, and it was you know. You know, the person that I know is like, this is just just so unprofessional. And how do I how do I even know that this person is speaking for the company as how well? How do you know they even work for the company? Right, right. And and how do you know they have the job <laughs> they tell you they have? Even if they have a branded email, they can be lying. You need to protect yourself as a business owner. The best way to protect yourself, you have company email that the employees use. If your employees are conducting business on behalf of a company on the road, they should have company cell phones so that when that employee leaves and those phone calls keep coming in, the next salesperson takes over that phone. I mean, it's just about being proactive to retain the business you have because it's so much less time-consuming to maintain your business and to go out and find that new customer. I, I think that that's very wise advice. I, I see a lot of businesses uh, getting back to, to just what is what is online marketing. I see a lot of businesses with uh, websites that are very homepage focused, and and I find that whenever I search for data, I'm not really landing on homepages anymore. No, you're going to land on the page that has the information you're looking for, which in general may or may not be the homepage. But you also have to look at the average website. Ninety percent of traffic on any website is going to start at the homepage. Okay. That homepage really does need to tell the story, who you are, what you do, where you're located, all your contact information, and what do you want the customer to do. Do you want them to call you, fill out a form, buy a product, click and purchase? That homepage needs to be the do-all, end-all, because you only have four seconds to make that first impression, and most people won't get past your homepage. When we look at search, those landing pages that you build are what are going to show up in search when someone's doing a very specific query. You want to find a house painter in Saratoga, New York, you're going to land on that page. So you'll have 10 different painter sites pop up, but you're landing on someone's page that talks about house painting in Saratoga. 
And you're also going to get YouTube videos of funny house painters in Saratoga, people falling off of ladders. It's just the nature <laughs> of the search today. So, so I, I don't, don't worry so much about the homepage. What you really want to see, what you really want to worry about, and what we see right now as critical for most businesses, what does your mobile site look like? Do you have one? What what platform are you on? Is your site a dinosaur, which can be two years old, and your website can be a dinosaur? Go get an iPhone. Go get an Android. Go get a tablet, and take a look at your site. Forty percent of all web traffic today is mobile and tablet based. And if you're trying to deliver that desktop version to a, a, a device, you're going to lose so much traffic. How about responsive websites? And, and just to well, go being ahead. Being responsive is configuring to the device. Right. I'm taking it a step backward before you even worry about responsive and what color does it look like and how, how big is your logo on the device. Does your website even work on a mobile device? You might have a beautiful website if I'm on a desktop, but when I go to a mobile device, it's so small I can't read it. No matter how big I try to stretch it with my fingers, it doesn't work. And what happens is the user that finds you on a mobile device takes one look at that teeny tiny website that looks like a, it's a postage stamp and walks away. Even if you have the right product, the right service, you're in the building next door to them and you have the best price in town, it doesn't matter. If they can't complete the purchase, if they can't find your phone number, if they can't figure out who you are and what you do on that mobile version, effectively on that device, you're just out of luck. And for those of you that don't have access to every kind of phone, there's a great little website called mobiletest.me. So it's mobiletest.me. And mobile test will let you put your website into any device you want, and it will give you a virtual look at how your website will appear to someone on that device. Hey, that's not a dot com. No, it's not a dot com. <laughs> but I'm sure they couldn't get dot com. Probably. But it's, it's a great toy, and you can look at what your site, and it's not 100% perfect, but it's pretty good. And you can look at what your site's, how your site's going to serve on that tablet or on that handheld and say, oh, my God, I need work. Because you don't really think about it, but when you serve on a mobile device, generally people just want to tap and dial your phone number. If your phone number is embedded in, in an image on your website and it looks beautiful in some fancy font, that's great. But on a mobile device, I can't tap and dial it. I'm hitting my back button going to your competitor. I, I, I certainly have have seen a lot of phone numbers coming up in, in pictures on websites. Mm-hmm. And I, I've always thought that that was a bad idea, that it should always be text. Because it, even, if, even if I'm on a desktop, I can at least copy and paste it into sure. into another and I can't copy and paste a picture. No, no. And what your mobile site really needs to be is very simple. Your logo, your phone number, your address, so that people can tap and get a map. Your email address, they can tap and send you an email. Give them everything at their fingertips, and you can make a sale. Give them nothing, and you've made a hell of a first impression, they're never coming back. Is there any other tips that you have for for a mobile device? I mean, for a mobile website? Um, depending on what platform you're in, a lot of them, we, we do predominantly our building in WordPress. WordPress mm-hmm. gives you all kinds of functionality for mobile, and you can have a different menu on your mobile device. So you might have 20 buttons across the top and 40 drop-downs on your mobile device, strip it down to the, the main pages. Because mobile is not for search. Mobile is for the handheld user. You probably only need five or six pages on that mobile site, 
and then have a switch to desktop version. If they really need to get more, they can switch and have your whole desktop version. They'll never use the button, but that's okay. <laughs> but there's no sense in having 20 buttons on a mobile site. No one's going to go that far. So keep it simple. Keep it simple. Mobile needs to be nice and easy to use. And then some software will let you integrate for tablets differently than mobile. So when your web developers working on your site, they should be looking at your desktop, your mobile, and your tablet version, and they should be looking at it in multiple browsers. Because what you see in Safari is not necessarily what you see in Chrome, which is not necessarily what you see in Firefox, or God help you, Internet Explorer. <laughs> it's different in every browser. It's different in every device. Responsive meant that your website configured to devices. Responsive is a given. But beyond responsive, what does it look like? And are you going to engage the user, or are you going to turn them off? And, and the key is to engage that user. Keep them on your website for more than four seconds. Get them to make that buying decision. Get them to fill out a form. Get them to tap and dial you. Whatever, if it's your e-commerce, get them to click, purchase, and check out. Do you have any, any thoughts on design, then, in general? A uh, website can be as wild and crazy as you want. It can be as simple as you want. Um, desktop design, black text on white background is always the easiest to read. If your audience is senior citizens, make the font points yeah, a little bigger. You know, if, you're, if you're targeting kids, you want lots of animation. If you're going to use video, put a picture of the video on your homepage. Put the player deeper in the site. You're going to look at traffic. Traffic is predominantly Monday to Saturday, 9 to 5. It's at work search. Most people at work can't run YouTube on their computers. They're blocked. The employers are blocking Adobe. So if you have a video on the middle of your homepage or at the top of your homepage, they see a big white square with a big red X. They can't play it. And when you see a big white square with a big red X, you think you're hitting something that's got malware on it. You just hit your back button. Don't make it harder to make that first impression and to get that customer. You can put a picture of that video, a screenshot off of YouTube. On that front page, they click on the screenshot. It goes to an internal page. The video plays. There's no reason to have video or audio playing on your homepage. And if you're running music, turn it off. What you think is great music is not what everybody else thinks is great music. And people at work that are surfing at work will get caught. If there's an audio track and they can't control the sound system on their machine, they're immediately going to X out of your site. Video seems to to be the number one advice for a lot of for, for businesses to you know put video on the oh, video website. Is fabulous! Get video on your site. Get it on YouTube. Optimize it. Get it to rank. Uh, YouTube's the number two search engine behind Google. There's more search on YouTube than there is on Yahoo and Bing put together. So so, how long should a video be if I'm going to put a video on my business website? Less than two minutes. Uh, generally a minute and a half is about the tolerance for most people. <laughs> uh, if you're going to do a how-to video, it can be as long. If it takes an hour to show someone how to do something, that's fine. If it's on an internal page, it's not going to matter. If it's on YouTube and someone seriously wants to know how to knit a sweater and the video takes 45 minutes, they'll watch it. I mean, it's, it's the biggest dilemma for business today is the loss of employee at work hours to YouTube. That's why they block YouTube. Sure. But their way to block YouTube is to simply block Adobe, which means nothing runs. No Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're not, you're not watching movies at work anymore. Well, <laughs> it's not going to 
<laughs> if you're watching movies at work, you need a new job, I think. <laughs> uh, well, your employer needs to find you a well, new job yes. or you know, kick you out the door. But again, you have to look at how people work today, how business works today, and work smarter. You know, under 40, they're not going to read your 40-million-word essay. They will watch your minute-and-a-half video. You have to have the essay there for the search engine. You want the video there for user experience. And, <coughs> and if you're putting video on, on the website, you need to make sure that everything you have is, is cleared. And that that goes for making the titles. Uh, the you know, If you've got a production company doing it, you have to make sure that there's a contract between your business and the production company. And if you're using music, you have to make sure that the copyright is cleared. Uh, mm -hmm. th there are, there are, I will tell you that it's probably easiest to hire somebody local and, and make sure that it's what we call a work for hire. And, and when a work is made for hire, it, it belongs to the person or, or business that's paying for it. And, you know, go get a, a, a 15, you know, second uh, clip. There are plenty of musicians out there who will make a 15 oh, and, and second. There, and there are free audio files out there that you can use. Just make sure what you're using is either guaranteed free or, yeah. Right, guaranteed. The, yeah, guaranteed. Not licensed the, by someone who's going to send you a bill. Exactly. <laughs> and that goes we're, for... We're talking about yeah, business, big business mistakes, expensive business mistakes. Uh, number one advice for a business managing their own website, do not let your employees, yourself, your friends, your family, nobody goes to Google Images, looks for an image, they're looking for a pine tree, copy, paste, and put it into your website. Absolutely. Pine tree image is owned by Getty Images. You're getting a bill for eleven hundred dollars. I have I have done my fair share of subtle copyright infringement settlements with Getty Images on the other side. A lot of businesses yeah. do it, and it winds up being a painful process. And while Getty may negotiate, they might negotiate down a hundred bucks, and uh, you know the, 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 they get found. They oh, get yeah. found because all but people do. Understand. They're, they're they're, they are putting their photos everywhere on the web in the hopes that you steal one. <laughs> because they make ten times the money sending bills for $1,100 to people to put a, a picture on their website without permission, without buying a licensed copy, than they make selling a photo for $10. Exactly. It, 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 it's a hell of a business out there right now. Oh, I know. And it's not just Getty Images, but they're, don't steal one of their images, you're done. You're, you're going to pay because... They might negotiate down to nine hundred dollars, but you're still going to pay them. Right. It, it's it's a lot easier to hire a photographer for you know one to two to three hundred dollars to go take you know a hundred hundred pictures of a pine tree, or you know go go you know give a list here of the pictures that that I'm looking for, and mm -hmm. make sure that it's there. Now, if also if you need. A person's image, and of course we're talking about business websites, and you need pictures of people. You have to have those those models give their rights away in their in their uh, likeness. And your other option is to use stock photography, and stock photography can be bought at as little as two three dollars a picture. Don't be afraid to use stock images and pay two or three dollars a photo versus grabbing something off of Google Images or Bing Images and getting a bill for twelve hundred dollars. I, I agree completely. I think that's why it's a very common mistake, and usually it happens not because the business is trying to save money, but they just don't know any 
different. No one's ever told them, oh, by the way, if you steal an image, you're going to get a bill. Because you don't have rights to use that image. Also, if you're using an image, and, and so, sometimes this, is, this would be my, my caveat from, from seeing clients use stock photography. Stock photography is a wonderful resource, but it's not the image of the company. No, it's not real. Yeah. <laughs> and reality will sell. But if you're going to do your own videos and you have reality in a video, it's not going to hurt you if you have stock photography. Agreed. Better to have stock photography that looks good than pictures you took with your own little digital camera oh, or your yes. iPhone that look like crap. Oh, yes, I agree. So, I mean, it's a trade-off. But if you don't have the resource to hire the photographer or to, to, to take your own pictures, stock Im- images, if it's going to cost you $20 to buy enough stock images to load your site up, do it. You can replace images over time very easily. And if you never get around to taking real pictures, at least your site looks good. Because if your site looks like crap, people aren't going to trust you. They're going to go to your competitor. You're not going to hear me disagree with that. (laughs) (laughs) It's all about looking good in the digital environment. And if you don't like your staff picture because you you wore the wrong shirt that day, go go spend two bucks, buy a stock picture of a guy in a really nice shirt, (laughs) stick his face out there and... People come in looking for him. They won't know who you are. It's great. <laughs> you can secret shop your customers. So they're looking for the CEO, and he's supposed to look like this, and you can talk to that person all day long, and they'll never know it's you. <laughs> uh, don't go steal a picture of Brad Pitt off the Internet. Again, don't steal pictures. You're going to yeah, create problems. Yeah, you will pay for that one. And don't put a picture of your dog or your cat up there as your face unless you happen to be like a veterinarian. Um, I, I... That's another strange thing that I see out there on the web. People will put a placeholder photo in and it's a picture of an animal. Uh, You are not a giraffe, you're not a walrus, you're not a zebra. You're a person and the picture you put out there on LinkedIn, the picture you use on Facebook, put it on your website, let people know who you are so they walk in the front door, you get treated with the respect you deserve. Well, I think that... Or if you're trying to hide from salespeople, use a picture that's like 10 years old. (laughs) Darcy, I, I think that's wonderful advice, and I think you and I probably need to run. Yes. So we can do this again next time. Wonderful. Thank you so much for calling in. You got it. Have a great day, Anthony. Thank you. You too. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.